so we are back. I don't know why I felt the need to start it that way, so welcome back to Spooky Scary Fun Time. Um, it's nice to see you again, although, you know, it's a podcast, so that's not the format. Um, I hope that you liked last week's video and I did alright with it. Also, the extra episode I did, I hope you liked that as well. Um, I think that I might add another one or two episodes a month on Thursday or Wednesday for folklore or just like lore of around the world of like different creatures and uh, phenomena and that kind of stuff. Like all supernatural obviously because that's what I do because I'm a loser. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, I am thinking on that and your feedback is always welcome so if you have anything to say about that if you'd like to see it if you'd like to you wouldn't see it if you'd like to hear about it then um, yeah um, like also this week I'm uh, trying new editing because I didn't like last week so I moved my mic my mic is now actually in front of me instead of off to the side because I'm smart um, and I'll be uh, doing different editing on it to hopefully because I just didn't like the way it sounded last week um, anyway so before we get all started now that I'm finished with that I am on TuneIn now, as well as SoundCloud and iTunes. So you can find me on all three of those platforms where I talk and talk and talk about nothing. Um, so now that that's all done, um, that's just like the unimportant kind of this week update because I'm cool. No. Um, so the subject of this week will, will be, because I can still talk apparently very well, will be <laughs> Waverly Hills Sanitarium. Sanatorium or sanitarium. Um, Waverly Hills Sanitarium, just a quick introduction as always, was a hospital made for the outbreak of tuberculosis during the 20th century in the United States for this. Since TB is a major aspect of the history of this particular place, I will be talking about it not to like uh, an extreme extent because it is a very um, intricate kind of disease, um, but I'll just be going over some basic stuff that's not too, you know, boring because like my eyes glaze over if <laughs> so I know what it feels like um though I do really like medical stuff anyway that's not important um I will be talking about it um anyway this location was a sanatorium a prison and now with the current owners it is turning into I believe they said it was a five-star hotel but it might be a four-star hotel which is for um they're trying to make it into kind of a place where people who like the um, supernatural can go. But it has paranormal researchers a little on edge thinking about what it'll do to the spirits that are said to live there. Um, but more on that later. It's not the time now. 
It's so powerful saying that. And finally, this location holds the title of apparently America's most haunted location. A lot of places claim that, but this is your decision to make. Um, another quick little thing is that this place actually does tours while I am recording this. So they do do like paranormal tours, I think still, or it might just be for um, Halloween. I'm not entirely sure because I wasn't interested in that because I'm a bad person, apparently. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so history. We have three sections of that today, and those sections are the building's history, which will be this section, if I ever get around to it, um, the history of TB, tuberculosis, and the types of TB remedies practiced at this specific sanitarium, which are now considered unethical, which they should be. Um, they do not help other than one um, which we've actually talked about before, if you've listened to my first podcast. Um, so back to the history of this place, Waverly Hill Sanatorium was a two-story building that held up to 50 TB patients. It was opened in 1910 when Jefferson County, where the sanatorium is located, had an outbreak. The full location of this location, uh, of this, I wanted to say location, but that is double location so of the sanatorium is Louisville slash Jefferson County Kentucky um, so the outbreak was attributed to the Ohio River where the bacteria liked to grow it closed in 1961 due to the drugs that combated the illness it was originally the city hospital but it seems like it broke off to treat cases of pulmonary tuberculosis that were extreme and were given $25,000 to build another hospital. So, um, yeah, in 1912, the Waverly location was opened, and I'm guessing that it was the city hospital in 1910 that opened and took in patients before that, but I can't seem to find the actual information for this. It seems to be kind of lost in the ether. Um... So the steady date I have for Waverly is 1912, where they took in the most severe cases with 40 beds, and then in 1914, their children's section gained 50 beds. It's not really known how many people were there as patients, but the recorded number is about 130. And while it's common, it was common for children to be admitted, there for tuberculosis, obviously. The children of adult patients with tuberculosis were also known to stay there while, as well uh, because they wouldn't get proper care otherwise, which, while noble, was stupid because TB is highly contagious and children have a lower immune resistance. As I said, uh, it was a two-story building, but the need for more space had the hospital preparing for a five-story building that could hold up to 400 patients. This started in 1924, and when the building was closed in 61, it reopened in 62 as Woodhaven Geriatric Center, treating aging patients with dementia, older older patients, 
uh, yeah, as well as severely mentally handicapped patients, and closed in 82 for practicing neglect, or for patient neglect. Um, and the prison that I talked about, that it was supposed to become, it was low security, but it never came to fruition because of the citizens uh, around the area and their protests of not wanting to have a prison. Which I actually know about because that happened where I used to live. <laughs> I wanted a prison and the people were like, no. Again, I have to feel like I have to apologize about my birds because apparently they think when I'm talking it's time for them to squawk. It would be more entertaining if they actually spoke because they can't but they won't because they're assholes. So on to the next section. Uh, so TB is not as young as the 20th century, which um, you might have thought it was. Um, I certainly didn't think that it was as old as it is. I thought it was a rather, um, a, like, a newer kind of uh, disease, but it actually isn't. Um, it also goes by other names, which are consumption, which you might have heard of before in history textbooks. That one I have heard of. Uh, I cannot say this word, but I will try. Phthisis, which is P-H-T-H-I-S-I-S. -I -S, so you try saying that. Scrofulia, or scrofula. Pot's disease, and the white plague. And due to fi fancy science shit, in 2014, scientists found out that the human version of TB is about 6,000 years old and basically spread 5,000 years ago, ago through trading routes in the 19th century. It spiked and was oddly enough considered to be a romantic disease. I didn't delve deep enough to understand the twisted kind of... Uh, idealism about that because that's not a romantic like downfall like it's painful and people are not like happy um anyway so in 19 or 1821 we came to start to understand tb and started striving towards a cure in 1869 we figured out it was contagious which is important to note as well as the fact that 50% of people infected with tuberculosis who entered sanitariums did not live. The disease was said to take one-seventh of people. It didn't say in the information where, if it was in general, like in the world, one-seventh died of tuberculosis, or in Europe, or in North America, it didn't say. So I'm not sure, but regardless, that number is kind of uh, terrifying. <laughs> um, and due to vaccines and medications, the numbers have gone down, but there are still cases being presented. If you don't know what TB, TB does, it attacks the lungs. And if I remember correctly, it slowly suffocates you to death. I'm pretty sure that's accurate. Might not be. If you want to know more about tuberculosis, please um, look it up. Um, because it is actually interesting. 
And it took them long enough to figure out that it was contagious. Um, <laughs> an article also will be able to explain this much better than me because I'm not a scientist. So I would trust scientists, not me, a random person on the internet. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful how I stumble through my words? Anyway, um, this is the third section of the history, which is the history of the... Oh, I can remember this from my notes earlier. <laughs> of the... Um, I'm going to say things because I can't remember the word. Done to pe pe patients uh, during their stay at Waverly. Okay, so during the time Waverly uh, was open, the, the doctors didn't really know how to treat it, but neither did anyone else. So it's not really like you can blame the doctors here. They did their best, but their best was basically torture. Uh, the good one, which wasn't torture, uh, which as I mentioned before, because I always mention before, because I like that, like my notes, um, <laughs> um, was uh, the Stanley Hotel, actually. Uh, he took his doctor's advice, and he went up and got fresh air, hearty meals, and it worked out for him. And that was Mr. Stanley. I don't remember if I just said that or not. I'm not in this today. Um, and that was actually one of the things that the doctors told uh, patients to do at Waverly. But because Waverly was made for the severely um, ill, like those who were really far gone with tuberculosis, um, it didn't really help. So these are the terrifying procedures that they had actually done to them. Um, a lobectomy and nemectomy, I think is what it's called, is where doctors surgically removed the infected parts of the lungs and sometimes even a whole lung, which is like, you need both lungs. So you can imagine how hard that would be to like live with and it still wouldn't get rid of the disease um frenectomy i'm gonna butcher these names just so you know i'm gonna butcher them worse than the japanese names um that was a phrenic nerve crush the nerve supply to one's diaphragm was cut off the diaphragm was paralyzed and then remains in a relaxed phase that is higher in the chest. So if you know where your diaphragm is, it's like right um, kind of under your rib cage, like right at the bottom, and it expands with your breath and it decompresses with your breath. So that's how singers get their ability to hold their breath and sing for a really long time or project back to the information that is actually prevalent <laughs> um in this 
Um, not only are the respiratory movements of the lungs diminished, but also due to the rising of the diaphragm slightly in the chest, so it goes higher, and your lungs take up quite a bit of space there, uh, there is a small decrease in the volume of the lung. The diaphragm opposite to the phrenic nerve, crush, guess that's a thing, continues to act normally. This allows the lung on the disabled side to heal. Which is absolutely terrifying to me, because, like, a voice projection is very important. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I can say this one. Heliotherapy, or sun treatment, was used in the treatment of tuberculosis of glands, bones, joints, peritoneum, skin, eyes, genitourinary tract, and others. Sunbathing helped to kill the bacteria and cause TB. Now, I don't know specifically what sun treatment involves. Um, I could look that up, but I don't have anything on me right now. <laughs> um, Thorough Coplasty refers to the surgical removal of several ribs uh, from the chest wall in order to collapse a lung. In the time that the surgery was common, or blah, sorry, in this time, this this surgery was commonplace. The average patient required the removal of seven to eight ribs. Most surgeons preferred to remove only two to three at the time, and thus the patient had to endure several procedures before the thoracoplasty thoracoplasty was finished. I think people actually do that as a, a plastic surgery treatment, don't they? Not treatment, but surgery. I don't know. Artificial nomothorax is meant a method of treatment which consists of introduction of air into the pleural cavity or between the covering of the lung which collapses the diseased area finally leading to complete recovery for patients who could not have artificial why do they make these names so hard <laughs> no po no pneumothorax for treatment they were prescribed postural rest the patient lies on the affected side and then restricts uh, like the expansion of that lung and puts it at partial rest another treatment for patients who had infections in both lungs which was not like that is kind of a death sentence not that these other ones weren't, like having one side infected wasn't, but double side you weren't going to make it, most likely. Um, and the treatment for that was the shot bag, which was a bag containing one pound of shot, which was placed on either side of uh, either collarbone of the patient. The amount of shot is increased four or five ounces each week until the patient is carrying five pounds of weight on the upper part of each lung. It restricted the 
expansion of each lung, making them quiescent. Quiescent? Teachers correct breathing and produce partial rest for the lungs. These were all painful and none of them really worked often. And they caused infection and oftentimes death. Yeah. Anyway, um, medical terms are hard. Now onward. I made a mistake earlier on when I said that it was the most haunted place in America. It's actually considered to be the most haunted place in the world. I'm not sure how you quantify that, but again, this is for you to decide. I have no opinion on the matter. I love all the places I talk about. And now a reason that this place might be considered to be the most haunted place in the world Although, that seems like a big spot to fill. Um, anyway, is the number of deaths that took place in this building at the time that it was open as a sanitarium as well as when it was a, um, like, old folks home slash for the severely mentally handicapped. Um, and that number is between 8,000 and 63,000. Um, there are reportedly painful deaths, uh, sometimes bloody. Also, there is a report of two suicides that, that may have occurred in the same room. I'm pretty sure that they've been verified, but I'm not 100%, so I'm not going to say. Um, yeah. Um, so, the type of activity present in the sanitarium would be ghostly children. It doesn't specify if it's an apparition or not, but I know further down in my notes that um, the children tend to be heard running, playing, and laughing. There's also said to be a demonic haunting, which would make sense if this place <laughs> is what it is, which it is. That didn't make any sense, but deal with it. Um, because it, it was a place for the very ill and dying, so it was a place filled with extreme suffering and probably people cursing for their suffering and deaths, um, or impending deaths. Um, uh, just a quick note on this that I forgot to put in my um, extra episode. Um, some people believe that there are no children ghosts. Um, that it's just a demon mimicking a child so that you'll interact with it and let your guard down. Um, so, yeah, I'm of um, the vein that children can be ghosts. But, you know, like information and all that. And lastly, oh, or not, because I'm sure there's other activity, uh, doppelgangers. Now... For those little beasties, I want to do a folklore episode on them because they are absolutely fascinating. Um, and then we're going to go on to stories. Um, I will warn you, there is only really one story and then kind of like the activity, but the story is quite long. I tried to cut it down um, as much as I possibly could, but it it's just... It was, yeah, you'll see, um, hopefully, and not yell at me. <laughs> 
Stories began to circulate of resident ghosts like the little girl who was seen running up and down the third floor solarium, the little boy who was spotted with a leather ball, the hearse that appeared in the back of the building dropping off coffins, the woman with bleeding wrists who cried for help, and others. Visitors told of slamming doors, lights in the windows, as if power was running still through the building. Strange sounds and eerie footsteps in empty rooms. One of the legends told of Waverly Hills Inc. involves a man in a white coat who has been seen walking around the kitchen and the smell of cooking food that sometimes wafts through the room. During their initial visit, uh, a part that I took out was him just mentioning um, para a paranormal group. They'll come up later. Um, during their initial visit, they found the kitchen was a disaster. A ruin of broken windows, fallen plaster, broken tables and chairs, puddles of water and debris that resulted from the leaking roof. The cafeteria had not fared much better. It was also in ruins, and the team quickly retreated. Before they could do so, though, several of them reported the sound of footsteps, a door swinging shut, and the smell of fresh baked bread in the air. A quick search revealed that no one else was in the building, and there was currently no one cooking anything in the kitchen. They could come up with no logical explanation for what had occurred. Ghost researchers are always drawn to the fifth floor of the former hospital. The fifth floor consists of two nurses' stations, a pantry, a linen room, a medicine room, and two medium-sized rooms on both sides of the two nurses' stations. One of these rooms, 502, is a subject of many rumors and legends, and just about every curiosity seeker that had broken into Waverly Hills over the years wanted to see it. So this is where, according to the stories, people who have jumped to their deaths, have seen shapes moving in the windows, and have heard disembodied voices, voices that order trespassers to get out. There is a lot of specu speculation as to what went on in this part of the hospital, but what is believed is that a mentally insane tuberculosis patient, mentally insane tuberculosis patients, were housed in the fifth floor. This kept them away, far away from the rest of the patients in the hospitals, but still in an area where they could benefit from the fresh air and sunshine. This floor is actually in the middle of the hospital, and the two wards extending out from the nurse's station is glassed on all sides and open out onto a patio-type roof. The patients were isolated on either sides of the nurse's stations, and they had to go to a half-door at each station to get their food and medicine, and to use the restroom, which was located adjacent to the station. The legends of the fifth floor are many. Stories say that in 1928, the head nurse in room 502 was found dead in room 502. I don't know why the writer felt the need to like double that up, but okay, I did that <laughs> already today too. She had committed suicide by hanging herself from a lighting fixture. She was 29 years old at the time of her death and allegedly unmarried and pregnant. Her depression over the situation led her to taking her own life. It is unknown how long she may have been hanging in the room before her body was discovered, and this would not be the only a tragedy to occur in this room. In 1932, other nurses who worked in room 502 said to another nurse who worked in room 502 was said to have jumped from the roof patio and plunged several stories to her death. 
No one seemed to know why she would have done this, but many speculated she may have actually have been pushed off the edge. There are no records that indicate this, but rumors continue to persist. The Louisville Ghost Hunters Society, which is the ghost hunter society that was mentioned. Sorry, I had to stop the recording. It's kind of going a little... Oh, no, it's better. Okay, um, <laughs> that's fine now. Um, Louisville Ghost Hunters Society was completely overwhelmed by Waverly Hills. Over the course of the next several years, they continued this into the... They introduced the sanitarium to a national television audience, held two ghost conferences there, and spent scores of thankless hours taking literal thousands of people through the building on more haunted tours than they could begin to count. They would also, during independent investigations and tours, experience numerous incidents and paranormal activity. Um, so yeah, what I was saying before my mic started to go fuzzy was... Um, that's the Louisville Ghost Hunters Society uh, was just the little, there was a little blurb and I cut that out uh, to save time because we're running almost 30 minutes and I still have like halfway to go. <laughs> During less than a five-year period, members of the Louisville Ghost Hunters Society experienced ghost sounds heard slamming doors, saw lights appear in the building when they should have been none, had objects thrown at them, were struck by unseen hands, saw apparitions in doorways and corridors and more. But none of these stories that I had been told could have prepared me to my first visit to Waverly Hills. I guess I could have started it here, but too bad. The first time I visited Waverly Hills was in September 2002. I was in town for the first Mid-South paranormal convention and one of the places that I had asked Keith H to show me in Louisville's was Waverly Hills. I was already interested in the history of the place and had heard about the investigations that had been conducted there. I was anxious to see it and so Keith arranged a tour. It was literally a dark and stormy night when we arrived at the hospital and it had been raining all day. I was looking forward to seeing the place no matter what the weather, and not because I was convinced that I would meet one of the former patients face to face, it was simply to experience the place for myself. By this time, I had traveled all over the country and had been to hundreds of places that were alleged to be haunted. I had felt this just this same way before exploring all of them, so Waverly Hill was no different to me. To me, it was just an old spooky building with a fascinating history. The fact that it was alleged to be haunted simply added to the experience. I had a long, I had long since abandoned abandoned the idea of expecting too much. I can read, I swear. After meeting with the owners, Keith and I went inside, started our and started our exploration of the building. The building was almost silent. All that I could hear was the sound of our own footsteps, our hushed voices, and the drip of rain as it slipped through the cracks of the roof and splashed down onto the floor. Keith led me through the place and pointed out various rooms, the treatment areas, the kitchen, morgue, on and on. We climbed the stairs to the top floor and I saw the legendary room 502. Sorry, that was my cord in my hand. <laughs> 
as well as the lights of Louisville as they reflected off the low ominous looking clouds that had gathered above the city. During our excursion, I mentioned to Keith that there had been one floor that we had missed, the fourth floor. He had explained that this was the only floor in the building whose entrance was kept locked, and he had saved it for last. I remembered then some of the stories that had passed on to me about this floor. Most of those who had spent much time here regarded the fourth floor as the most active and most frightening part of Waverly Hills. When I entered the fourth floor for the first time, I got a distinct feeling that something strange was in the air. I make absolutely no claims of any psychic ability whatsoever. There was just something about this floor of the hospital that felt different than any of the others. What had been nothing more than just an old ramshackle and broken down building suddenly seemed different. I I can't really put into words what it felt so strange, but it almost seemed to be a tangible presence that I had no not encountered anywhere else in this place and right away eerie things started to happen. We had entered the floor in what I believed was the center of the building. Behind us was a wing that I was told was not safe to enter. Section of the floor had fallen in the air in and this area was off limits to tours and visitors the strange thing about it was that both keith and i clearly heard the sound of doors slamming from this part of the building i can assure the reader that it is not the wind either the wind was not strong enough that night to have moved those heavy doors and this clearly sounded as though someone was trying to close them very hard when i questioned keith about who could be up here with us he explained how uns- about how unsafe the floors were in that section i investigated on my own and determined that he was correct there was no one walking around on that part of the fourth floor As we started down the hallway, Keith told me about some of the other experiences that that had been experienced by investigators on this floor. The experiences involved the strange shapes that had been seen, the sightings that had started the previous October when, on consecutive nights, investigators were able to see what looked like human shadows moving up and down the fourth floor hallway. One of the shadows in particular actually appeared to look around corners at them and all of the shapes passed back and forth across the doorways. Keith added that sightings like this had occurred at other times as well, and happened more often when no flashlights were used in the corridor. I switched off my flashlight and walked down the corridor using only a dim, ambient light from the outside. The hallway runs through the center of the building on either side of it, where former patients' rooms are. Beyond the room is the porch area that opens to the outside. It was here where the patients were placed to take in fresh air. There was no glass ever placed in the huge outer windows, which has left the interior of the floor to the elements ever since. On this night, the windows were illuminated, were also illuminated, the corridor. That didn't make sense, I'm sorry. Thanks to the low-hanging clouds the glow that glowed with the lights of Louisville, we walked down through the dark and murky corridor that I had begun to see shadows that flickered back and forth. I was sure that they were a trick of the eye, though, likely caused by the lights or the wind moving something outside, and so I urged Keith on for a closer look. It was there where the corridor angled to the right and I got a look at something that was 
definitely not a trick of the eye. So that the reader can understand what I saw, I have to explain the hallway ahead of us continued straight for a short distance, then turned sharply to the right. In the early 1900s, most institutions of... I don't think that's right. I think they screwed up their timeline. Most institutions of this type were designed in this manner. It should have been the 20th century. Uh, it was what was dubbed the batwing design, which means that there was a main center in each building. This made it impossible to miss since it was straight ahead of us. We took a, a few more steps and then without warning, the clear and distinct silhouette of a man crossed the lighted doorway, passed into the hall, and then vanished into a room on the other side of the corridor. I got a distinct look at the figure, and I know it was a man, and that he was wearing what appeared to be a long, white drape that could only have been a doctor's coat. The sighting only lasted a few seconds, but I knew what I had seen. And for some reason, it shocked and startled me so badly, I yet let out a yell and grabbed a hold of Keith's jacket. I'm not sure why it affected me that way, but perhaps it was the setting, the man's sudden appearance, my own anxiety, or likely all of these things. Regardless, after my yell, I demanded that Keith turn on the light and that he help me to examine the room the man had vanished into. After my initial fright, I became convinced that someone else was on the floor with us. Keith assured me that we were the only ones there, but he did help me search for the intruder. There was no one there, though. He was right. Whoever had been, he had been, he had utterly and completely vanished. I was not the first person to have seen this mysterious figure on the fourth floor, and it's unlikely that I will be the last. However, for me, this put Waverly Hills into the unique category, for there are not many places that I will firmly state are genuinely haunted. Before I can do that, I have to have my own unexplainable experience, and hopefully it will be something that goes beyond the mere bump in the night, or spooky photograph. In this case, it was much more than that, because I actually saw a ghost. In all of my years of paranormal research, I can count the times that I have seen ghosts on just two fingers. This one, and one of them was at Waverly Hills. In this case, seeing really was believing. Over the course of the next couple of years, I returned to Waverly Hills many times, and while I was lucky enough to experience some other hauntings associated with the place, none of these visits have stuck with me as the first one did. I'll never forget the trip, uh, my, that trip, and one of the first times that I actually saw a ghost. So this story um, is on prairieghost.com. I would 100% go read the whole thing like they're great i love that site um yeah and we're getting along so i'm going to be quick so now we're moving on to just like the legends of what people see um we are moving like we are uh getting quite long this will be my longest um podcast yet so i'm trying to get through it quick because i know people don't really want to hear about ghosts for like an hour um so i will try not to be an hour but if it is then i'm sorry so we'll start legend has it that timmy was six or seven year old uh years old when he died at waverly but has yet to move on visitors often bring him a toy ball 
uh, to the hospital to invite him to play. The balls sometimes move, seemingly on their own volition, but critics say that a draft or uneven floors can blame, be blamed for the movement. Um, not a ghost child. Um, room 502. Another creepy legend involves a pregnant nurse who allegedly committed suicide in room 502. I already talked about that. Uh, the story talked about that. Some tales claim that a doctor impregnated the nurse and then wanted nothing to do with her. I've actually heard that story before, so I would say it has more val like validity. Um, devastated, the woman hung hanged herself from an exposed pipe or light fixtures. Other versions claim it was the hospital owner who impregnated the woman as she jumped from the other the room rather than hanging herself. Regardless of the tale, many Riverly workers are convinced that an anguish energy lurks in room 502. Um, it has been said that there have been two suicides in room 502. So just um, to um, help you remember that, I don't know. I don't know. Um, the Death Tunnel. The underground tunnel that leads from Waverly's main entrance to the bottom of a steep hill some 500 feet or for Americans, 150 meters down. Staff used the tunnel to receive supplies in the winter and when the hill was both inconvenient and difficult for suppliers to ascend. However, it is likely that doctors also used this tunnel to get rid of bodies. One legend claims that tuberculosis claimed one patient per hour during the height of the epidemic and that doctors used the tunnel to remove the dead without upsetting the living. So this is uh, called the death tunnel. Uh, and is now a paranormal hotspot. Visitors say, complete with eerie shadows, unexpected footsteps, disembodied voices. It is also known among the investigators to provide chilling EVPs. Another quick thing is, uh, there's a dust shoot. Um, so yeah. Um, Um, and that was from MysteriousUniverse.org. Um, there's also said to be a creeper, which is thought to be the demonic present. It is a shadow that is so distorted that they don't think it could be human. And it unnerves you if you see it or it is around. So I'm really sorry that the story was really long and all that but prairieghost.com deserves some love um i feel like i've used that site before for information um and I, it's just just go look at it um <laughs> anyway um um uh, haunted or not i'd say it seems like it is and not only that but it, that is it is an intelligent haunting um, this place has been featured on a ton of paranormal shows, ghost hunting shows, um, and my favorite, Supernatural, because I'm a loser. <laughs> I'm sure that this has been a long episode. I will hopefully fix my editing because I wasn't a fan of last week's sound. I said that already. Um, but other than that, I will talk to you again next week. I have no idea what I want to do, which is a lie. I've decided that probably an insane asylum. Um, but suggestions are always welcome because I'm likely to change my mind. As always, uh, it's at mindless, D-W-H, 
please contact me if you have any comment questions or concerns, suggestions, anything. It's totally fine. Have a great day and stay spooky.